Um, let's pray, and we'll just begin this time. Uh, Father, as we uh, gather here in your name, and as we uh, turn our hearts uh, to your word at this time, we recognize, Lord, that this is your eternal word uh, that we need to, uh, to take heed and that we need to give our hearts to. So, Lord, as we uh, come to this passage, Lord, that you would speak to us, remind us of your truth, uh, that we could indeed be uh, the doers of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to be observing this week as uh, the Passion Week, you know, remembering the, the suffering and death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I, you know, I just encourage you guys to spend some time, um, spend this week uh, in a really meaningful way. Um, you know, do spend some time in prayer, um, scripture reading, uh, and if you are following along, uh, we are in Luke right now, earlier part of Luke, but just, yeah, if you can do some, uh, even if you're not keeping up, spend some time in scripture reading and meditation, and um, even maybe consider, um, you know, traditionally a lot of, like, uh, Christians, uh, you know, even just uh, did, um, like, you know, uh, some sort of, like, fasting, uh, during this time, so maybe even uh, consider fasting, maybe even for Good Friday. Uh, but let's, you know, whatever we, uh, we may do, you know, let's, let us really remember and honor Christ uh, during this week, especially more so as we think about what he has gone through. Um, you know, so there is um, this person named J.C. Ryle. Actually, there is a study uh, Bible uh, after his name, and he said this, true Christianity it's not merely believing in a certain set of dry, abstract uh, propositions. It sounds just like Pastor Jay, right? Um, but it is to live in daily personal communication with an actual living person. And it is so true that it's not something that we kind of just think about or just adhere to in an abstract way. But it is to really just walk with a person who is real, who is living. Right? And that is Christ. And that's something that we have to really just uh, think about these days. And, um, you know, many Christians uh, these days are used to convenience-driven uh, kind of Christianity. We really just don't like to be inconvenienced. We want things, especially when it even comes to our faith, we want things to be really convenienced. We want to be convenienced. Um, so there's an old pastor uh, that made an, an observation about a subtle shift in Christian vernacular over the years. So like many years, many years ago, and he was saying that, and I think, I think I agree with him, is that you would hear the word sacrifice a lot in the church. Uh, there's a, also, I, I remember like hearing some passage, uh, uh, like pastors talk, or just quoting uh, C.T. Studd. He was an English missionary at the turn of the 20th century. And he said, the quote goes, if Jesus Christ be God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And so I remember hearing that quote a few times by different pastors. If really Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and if he really gave his life for me, that any sacrifice that I would make for him, it shouldn't be too great. Is it really even really a sacrifice, right? 
if he gave everything that he had for me, right? Whatever that I offered to him, even my life, is that really a sacrifice? Right? I would hear messages that, you know, like this, I'm talking about like when I was teenagers and really like many, many years ago, decades ago, I would hear messages like, you know, like give, like give yourself, even like money-wise, give until it hurts, right? Does it, do you really know what it means to even just giving until it hurts? And I, we would sing things like, I want to be a sacrifice, Lord. Take all of me. Maybe a passenger may remember a song like that. Um, or, you know, pierce my ears, O Lord, my God, right? It's uh, meaning like, you know, back in the Old Testament times, you know, if you, like a, as a servant, if you love um, your, like, Lord or master, then they would go through this ritual where you would just pierce your as a, as a sign that you are, at, you know, you belong to you voluntarily. You would um, put yourself at the, the you know, the, the good master's service, right? So we would sing songs like that. Well, so growing up, I remember hearing a lot of messages and words that were used, sacrifice. Then that word was used less and less and was replaced by the word commitment. It was widely used and mentioned frequently. This guy, it, not so much of the, the sacrifice anymore, but say, make a commitment. If you're a leader, if you are, you know, hey, you got to commit yourself, right? And I think we talk about that in our membership class too. Commit yourself to the Lord or make a commitment. Just commit your life to the Lord for his service. Right? So then that word was used a lot. And now even the, uh, and then these days, and that pastor was making an observation that now even that word makes some people like kind of squirm and very make them really uncomfortable. So these days, the operative word is now participation, right? Sacrifice, commitment, man, that's like, that sounds really too heavy-handed, sounds really old school, sounds very like extreme. So now, a lot of times, what we hear in the church is the word participate. Hey, guys, let's participate in our small group. Hey, we have uh, church clean day. Let's participate, right? We don't want to, we no longer, uh, rarely we now use the word, guys, we need to sacrifice. Guys, we need to make a commitment. But say, guys, let's participate in the church activity, right? So you see how like over decades at least, there's been this kind of subtle shift. People, we don't want to really hear about the word sacrifice, not much, or even commitment. Now it's like more about participating. We've gotten used to really this convenience-driven, easy believism these days. Uh, especially, I think, like through the pandemic, you know, with, uh, when we offered um, the virtual service. And I think that really just, you know, because some of us who've been there before, before the pandemic, you know, we had a lot more people. Uh, in this uh, in this church uh, in this church and people were coming out but now after it got people got so used to staying home and watching the service uh, on, on the screen now it's not the same anymore because people are so used to that kind of just staying home being comfortable uh, just staying in their pajamas right and watching the service now we have really got used to that but today's passage gives us a warning against such an attitude and mindset. You know, people may say, 
you know, what's wrong with wanting convenience, right? What's wrong with balancing out our ambitions and desires with what God wants? Can we not have both? Can we not really just, just go for our own dreams and what we want? And at the same time on the side, right, we can also just like, follow God at the same time. What's wrong with that? Pastor Wojin, why are you advocating this radical version or radical brand of Christianity? What do you talk about? What do you mean just even consider doing like fasting or Good Friday service? Why do we have to, I mean, do we really have to come out to that, right? Why don't we just kind of take it easy, right? Just bring it down a notch a little bit, right? But what we see in the scriptures is that we are not to really kind of get used to or kind of be, uh, kind of just seek that type of uh, Christian faith, kind of being really that our convenience is the most important thing when we follow Christ. Or just kind of being giving like kind of half-hearted effort. Right? Someone recently encouraged me a lot. And I think I can't talk about her because she's not here, right? So, you know, it's Min. So um, you guys know that she gave birth last month. Uh, now it's two months, a month and a half ago. Um, but, you know, like, to my surprise, you know, and so to my surprise, you know, she would still attend when we, all, when we do offer, like, for our small group, virtual option, that she would come. I was like, oh, wow. It's been only, like, over, barely over a month. And I know she's not getting much sleep, and that's what she said before. But she would still come and uh, be, participate uh, in the small group. And when we have uh, leadership meeting, like deacons meeting, she would, she would still come, come out. And I'm like, wow, I was really impressed. And not only that, uh, she just uh, wrote me and uh, texted me or, uh, yeah, sent me a message out of nowhere, said, hey, Pastor Woodin, uh, I know you just started a full-time job, and uh, so, like, your like, attention is not fully devoted to, to, to church and whatnot, and, but, you know, I want to help you. So is there anything that maybe when you are sending out emails, maybe I can help you with, like, sending out emails, right? So she offered to help me, right, even though she's a new mom, right? And I was, it really, like, encouraged me that she could have easily kind of said, hey, you know, I'm a new mom. You know, this is my first time being a mom, and I'm not getting any, I'm not getting much sleep. It's really difficult. So no, any, I think anybody could have, nobody could have faulted her. They said, hey, how come you're not, you know, attending small group? Oh, you know, you, you know, you don't have to, like, help out with a the pastor. There are other people, just let him take care of it, right? But you, she wanted to make herself available, right? Um, just kind of just going above and beyond what is convenient for her. Now, today's text is pretty much the last part of Jesus' discourse at the Last Supper. So, you know, actually, uh, after describing his disciples' glorious roles in the kingdom of God, in verses 28 through verse 30, uh, 30 actually, uh, we didn't have that uh, in the passage, but it says this, Jesus says, so towards the end, end, to, uh, end of the, the Last Supper, says, you are those who have stayed with me in my trials, and I assign to you, as my Father assigned to me, 
a kingdom that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So he was like really kind of telling his own disciples the kind of role that they would have, the prominent roles that they would have in his kingdom. After saying, uh, saying those great things, Jesus turns now to the coming trials that they would face. First, Jesus warns Peter of, the future, of his future denial. And the second, Jesus warns them all to prepare themselves for the coming troubles. For those of us who are very used to convenience-driven Christianity, or people who are, we are so used to getting things done like, in an instant and having things so convenienced, this is a really sober, a sobering message, especially as we are going through the Passion Week. Now, we need to understand that here, his heart is deeply troubled, as we know that he's about, he knows exactly what he's about to go through in a few hours. And what little time he has left with them, he tries to warn them. And the disciples have no idea what is about to happen to him, to them, and the world. The most significant moment in the history of the world, the atoning sacrifice of the Son of God for us sinners, is about to take place, and only Jesus is aware of all this. Here, Jesus knows all too well that this defining moment of God's redemptive plan and history is about to take place, and yet his closest disciples have no clue, even with his repeated attempts to tell them. He's, he's been telling them, I'm, you know, the son of, son of man, son of God, will be just betrayed and will just die, suffer and die. But they still didn't get it. They still didn't understand. Time and time, he would tell them, they still didn't grasp the concept because they're in their eyes, in their mind, Messiah was somebody who was victorious, somebody who is like, he's going to just have all this power and be like, you know, establish this earthly kingdom. So to them, all these things didn't make sense to, to them. And so it just didn't register in their minds. So talk about feeling lonely and frustrated. I mean, no one gets you. No one really understands you. And you are about to offer yourself for their sake. They still don't get it. I mean, boy, I mean, what Jesus had to go through here, even in his last hours on earth, out of his love, he tells them what to expect so that they and we may not get caught off guard but be prepared for what is coming. Even those, even for some of us who are still like seeking convenience, comfort level, as Christians in this world, we try to be like cozy. He's giving us a warnings of what is to come. The first point that he makes here is that there will be con uh, constant spiritual attacks. There will be constant spiritual attacks. In verse uh, 31, right, that's what he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Right? Satan would ask for you. Right? And here, interestingly, even though he was addressing Simon Peter, the word you is plural. It's not singular you, but it's the plural you. 
So basically, Satan had asked permission to trouble all the disciples. These words recall when Satan asked God for permission to to just harm Job, right? Notice that Satan has no power to act outside the area that God allows him. To, uh, allows him. Satan here wanted to crush Simon Peter and the other disciples like grains of wheat. He's saying, after I crush these sorry guys, now I hope to find only chaff and blow it away. Right? All of them failed the trial. And Peter right, famously Infamously, denied Jesus three times. But Jesus assures Peter that although his faith would falter, it would not be destroyed. But here, Peter seems to ignore Jesus' words regarding intercession on his behalf and simply answers with bravado. Right? In verse 33, it says, Peter said to him, when Jesus said, yeah, you're going you, you're gonna to just um, deny, deny me three times. But Peter said, Oh, I'm sorry, before that. Um, says, but verse 33 says, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. And I'm sure he meant it at that time. I'm sure that he considered his loyalty to exceed everyone else's. Death is not going to stop me, Jesus. You and me, Jesus, we are special, right? I'm, you know, I'm going to go to death with you. No doubt Peter was a courageous man, but he would fall just the same because of his self-confidence. If he had taken the Lord's uh, warning seriously, in verse 34, you know, Jesus said, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you, you know me. If he really taken his warning seriously, he would have spared himself a great deal of sorrow and shame. Before that very night was over, he denied him three times. There will be a constant spiritual attacks for the people, for those of us who follow Christ. What about us? Don't we have this uh, tendency to overestimate our abilities or spiritual maturity? They would say, oh, when we look at somebody like Peter, we say, oh, yeah, I don't think I would be like that. Oh, man, what a, what a dumb guy. How could he, like, just deny Jesus? I don't think I would do that. Right? I'm really tight with Jesus. Is that, don't we sometimes think like that? We tend to really overestimate and rely or think that we are really solid. Right? If you, and we, from time to time, read and hear of, you know, the fallen pastors and the, the leaders of the church. I don't think they were like, you know, in their right mindset, say, you know what, I'm going to fall and, you know, just there will be a great scandal uh, that's going to be written about me or talked about me. I don't think any one of them would have uh, had that kind of thought enter their mind. I'm sure all of them probably thought that they were pretty confident about their walk with the Lord. But that did not stop them from getting a text, being tempted, and fall. So, you know, these days, one of my prayers is like, Lord, let me not fall into temptation to a point where I would fall 
to, to the degree where it will be irreversible. Right. I'm no better. Than, and, you know, I'm, some of, I'm sure some of these fallen pastors, I mean, they were more, way more influential. Like, they, they probably had much solid understanding. Their, their prayer life and all of those things were really just rock solid. At least they thought. And yet, when they were attacked, they gave in and they fell. So Jesus says, don't be too sure of yourself right, about where you are with the Lord. Turn to him at all times because there will be constant spiritual attacks. And the second thing that uh, Jesus says here is that we will also face hardships. Not only will there be attacks, but we will also face hardships. In verse 35, and uh, he said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. So it refers to the ministry in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus sent them out in pairs to preach the gospel. And there they went without extra resources. They were able to rely on the generosity of the people uh, that they were speaking to and spending time with. So they were able to depend on, uh, on their uh, hospitality. But now Jesus explains that the situation is different. Now that Christ is about to be uh, tried and, and be, uh, uh, be crucified, the situation is different. The future will not be as easy as the past. The followers would face perilous times and they need a new outlook. That his followers need to be prepared. And Jesus quotes Isaiah chapter 53 verse 12, declare, declares that he himself faces the fulfillment of that verse, that he will be numbered, uh, numbered with the transgressors. That he will soon take the place of transgressors, being arrested as a criminal and taking the punishment. Obviously, he's referring to his death. And because of that, his, uh, his disciples will also be in danger for being his followers. Jesus was regarded as a transgressor. Even though he was innocent and righteous. But why? And the gospel informs us it is because none of us is righteous. No matter what we try to do in our own lives. All the good things and the spiritual things that we may try to do, there will never be enough in the eyes of God. None of us is righteous. We have no righteousness on our own. There's nothing in us. And whatever we do cannot make us be declared righteous. Because of that, there had to be another righteousness that had to be imputed to us, that had to be given to us. And that righteousness, the only righteousness that is acceptable to God, was offered by the life of Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life throughout his life, perfectly obedient to the will of the Father. And the righteousness that Christ had, the life that he uh, lived, and the death that he offered, that righteousness has been given over to us. For that to happen, all, uh, for that to happen, he had to receive the wrath of God the Father as if he were the sinner and he bore our guilt and shame 
and what we call substitutionary death. That he took our place where we should have been, where we should have just received our own due punishment. Christ took our place and died in our place. That he was numbered with the transgressor because of our own sin, because of our own way of life, because of our own rebellion. It's amazing that the Son of God would go to such extent. And here, he does mention about the sword, right? He said to them in verse 36, But now let the one who has a money, money bag take it, and likewise a knapsack. And let the one who has no sword uh, sell his cloak and buy one. Right? Whoa, he's even just advocating buying a sword. But what does that really mean? Right? When Jesus mentions sword, it is probably not meant literally, but is a, a way of saying that they will face a dangerous future because all, of, uh, all that was about to happen to Jesus, his followers would be in danger too. That they will experience resistance and persecution just like him. But the, the man, the disciples took it literally, and so they were busy checking for arms to defend them. So, oh, Jesus is talking about uh, just defending ourselves. So who's got a sword? Okay, we got two swords. Jesus, we got two here. Right. In fact, Peter used his sword in the Garden of Gethsemane when people were there to arrest Jesus. And here Jesus says, he responds by saying, it is enough. Probably he likely means that, that enough, uh, enough with that sort of talk or maybe to end the conversation which, once again, they had failed to understand what he was saying, what he meant to say. The way of Jesus, as they, as they should have known, was not the way of the sword, but the way of love. Until the very end, they still had not grasped his ways and his message. So, you know, let us not be, uh, you know, so here Jesus clearly gives a warning to his followers of what is to come, that we should not be surprised or bewildered when we face hostility and opposition from the world. These days, you know, when you call sin as is, you'll be probably blasted with being narrow-minded. You you'll be accused of being intolerant, being judgmental, or even like saying, you know, when you talk about Jesus being the only way to God, uh, you'll be saying that you're going to be on the wrong side of history. Um, you know, you'll be ostracized when you say Jesus is the only way. If you are serious about following Christ, then we should expect resistance and hardships in our lives. If our lives are too comfortable, it's probably because we haven't really risked anything for the sake of Christ. But is that it? Is this all we can look forward to? All the constant spiritual attacks and hardships? No. Because the one last point that I want to bring out to you here is in this passage, in this passage, but Jesus prays for us and restores us when we fall or when we fail. Verse 32. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Here, even though in verse 31, when uh, we talk about you, it's, it was plural, but in verse 32, he's once again turning to Simon, Peter, and I have prayed for you, singular. Jesus prayed, especially for Peter at this time. And he prayed for his faith, not the removal of the test. Jesus didn't say, all right, I know you're going to go through some crazy test, and I'm going to pray that you will not face these uh, persecutions and trials. That's not what he did. He prayed for the faith to endure and persevere in the face of opposition and difficulties. Notice he didn't say, if you have turned again, but he says, when you have turned again. Jesus knew that Peter would fail. He would fall. But he also knew that Peter would repent. He was confident of Peter turning back. And we see in uh, John chapter uh, 21 that we do see Jesus restoring Peter back to ministry. And that's such a comforting a message to hear. Can you imagine like Peter being so down on himself? Even though he repented, he said, I'm not worthy. I mean, I denied Jesus three times in the public. What kind of, you know, disciple am I? I was supposed to be the, the, the closest one, like the number one guy. This is what I did. But Jesus shows, uh, shows up to him in Galilee. And he restores him. He says, feed my sheep. And he does ask him three times to signify the three times that he denied Jesus. He knew that when, uh, that when having faced a trial, uh, Peter, would, uh, Peter would be able to strengthen and encourage other brothers. In fact, First Peter is about encouraging brothers who are undergoing trials and difficulties. Peter became a source of strength to many who needed that. Because Peter understood what it was like, what he, the, 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 the trivial and just the, the angst and the struggle that he went through as he was going through struggles. He understood because he went through it himself. And as someone who has gone through that, he now wanted to just turn and minister to other people, identify with them, encourage them. And that's the hope that we have, that even though we may fall, when the temptations come, when we mess up, but Jesus is telling us that he is praying for us and restoring us. He will restore us back to him. Does Jesus say that we as his followers will face countless spiritual attacks and difficulties? Yes. And will they cause us to stumble and fall at times? You bet. But Jesus also promises us that he will be with us and intercede for us. And he would restore us. When I think about my own life too, there are countless times that I would stumble, I would fall. And I get so discouraged. Oh, man, I'm a pastor. Here I am. I'm just fall. I fell, and I just made uh, this stupid mistake, said some stupid things that, that I shouldn't have said and did things that I shouldn't have been doing or not doing things that I should be doing, right? 
So when I'm down on myself. But once again, Jesus comes to me and he picks me, picks me up again so that I can move forward. There are times, like, um, I don't know if I, I think I may have shared, like, you know, uh, so I was part of a church planning. So it was exciting. Like, just people were just coming and just, uh, all these people were getting, like, baptized and things like that. But then uh, after a few years, we had to just close down our uh, church. Uh, it was a very discouraging time for me. I was like, man, man, I'm a failure, right? I failed. How can I just, what can I do now, right? And I was even just at a point where, like, should I even stay in ministry? Because right? I was to a point of being so discouraged after having all the dreams of, like, you know, starting a church. And we became another statistic because, you know, they say, like, over 70, 80 percent of the church plant never make it beyond, like, five years. Right? And we became, I mean, we made it beyond five years, but still became one of the statistics of them making it, being so discouraged, feeling like a failure. Just even just pondering, should I even just stay in ministry? So I was just struggling with that. And, you know, that's when, as I was praying, just this moment, as I was praying to the Lord, um, I saw that mental like, picture of me that first time that I committed my life to Christ. Uh, not Christ, but to, to, to full-time ministry, right? And so uh, I remember that time because it was at a retreat, and it was very clear to me um, that God was calling me into ministry. And so that picture just out of nowhere just came to me, right? And that's how I knew that God was uh, you know, still calling me in, in, in ministry. So things like that, when even though when we feel like we fall, we fail, we have to understand that Jesus is still interceding and praying for us. He's not there to just say, aha, I got you. You know, you messed up. You are no longer worthy. But he's praying. Can you imagine Jesus praying even for Peter? I wouldn't, I wouldn't know what he, had to, what he went through after he denied Jesus three times, after being so confident about his ability to be with Jesus all the way to death. But Jesus reassures him that he has been praying for him and he will restore him when he, when he fell. So let us remember that he will be there to strengthen us and he would give us hope. Let us not give up even when we fall, when we stumble. That he will not give up on us. So let's, let us remember his grace and his love for us. Continue to just strive and just move forward, take the step, one step at a time, drawing closer to him. You know, our spiritual life is, will never be this smooth sailing and just kind of constantly just going upward. There will be times when we have to struggle and just um, difficult times when we get discouraged, when we, get, when we are really just wondering if, if this is the right way to go, a lot of questions, uncertainties, hardships. But each time, let us remember, because Christ has gone through what we should go through by being numbered as a transgressor and just giving us this new life and new hope in, new hope in Christ that we will once again remember and continue to move forward and continue to just uh, learn to be with him and to just uh, fellowship with him at all times.
Let's pray. Let's go before the Lord and let's take a moment to um, just come before him.